Hey, it's Charlie. Welcome to another episode of Uncharted Territory. We live in a consumerist society. Our economy operates and frankly relies on the fact that all of us are ferocious consumers of products. So, in this episode, we got to sit down with Adam Simone, the founder of Leaf Shave, a razor company that's trying to make shaving sustainable. And along the way, they're making a damn good product. I use it myself. I hope you enjoy the interview. Uh, my name is Adam. I'm uh, one of two Adams that started and co-founded Leaf Shave. We make what we think are the world's most advanced plastic-free razors in our attempt to make shaving more sustainably, uh, more accessible to more people. I've been using my Leaf razor for, I mean, it doesn't <laughs> look like it right now with the with the beard on my face, but... I've been using it for about two months now, I think, since March. Um, and when I first got it, um, my I, it comes in this like paper packaging that's like in this little tiny box, and it was such a fun experience to open up. Um, but the first question on my mind is: is how did you get the idea to change the to design this razor? Where did this come from? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Well, so we actually didn't set out to build a more sustainable uh, razor or uh, a company that was focused on kind of eco solutions. We actually just set out to make a better razor. So my, my partner and I are both engineers. We um, worked for uh, a decade or more in the medical technology field. Uh, before starting Leaf, we were designing robotics for surgery. So this is a little bit of a different world. <laughs> but we thought there was an opportunity in shaving because both of us um, honestly struggled with um, just the very kind of function and output of, of shaving, whether it's like com very uncomfortable shaves, um, you know, uh, irritation, razor bumps, razor burn. We both have pretty thick, wiry hair. Uh, and to be honest, like modern cartridges, they, they weren't a great um, solution for us. And we'd both experimented with safety razors in the past as well and found those to be um, uh, just a little bit more challenging to use, slow, frankly, slower, uh, more of an experience, certainly um, um, conquerable. But uh, but but we thought there might be a middle ground, something in between um, those two things that if we could find some unique space, uh, some, some unique place in the space that we could actually like build a company, build some kind of enterprise value around that. Uh, so. You know, we definitely had in the back of our head uh, a um, that we thought this could be something that um, lended itself to an audience who was focused on like reducing their plastic waste and leading a more sustainable life uh, by virtue of the fact that we named the company Leaf. Um, but certainly, number one is make sure the product works and works well. Uh, and actually, that that's something that I think is perhaps more like really important and sometimes lost with um, businesses that are setting out first to make something sustainable. Um, it's really hard for people to get people to make the move, the swap, um, if they're sacrificing uh, how it works or the result that it gives. And so we're product people at heart and we always try to lead with the product. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the experience of like 
putting together a razor company? Like how, how did yeah. the product, what was, what was like the iterations of it like before you got to what it is today? Yeah, so the, the our flagship razor, which is our multi-blade pivoting head razor, was the first product we launched. We also have a newer single-edge um, safety razor as well, and we have four razors in the pipeline at various stages of research and development. So we're a razor machine over here. Uh, but the the Leaf razor, which is that that flagship razor, wasn't actually the first one we designed and developed. Um, we spent a couple years working nights and weekends while at our other job working on a um, best as best described as a um, kind of a, a straight razor, which is the, those like cutthroat razors, um, a straight razor that had a pivoting head and a, a forever resharpenable blade. So you got the razor, you got a little sharpen sharpening box, and we designed this very clever mechanism um, where the two played together. Um, we have a patent around that. Um, and we're really excited about it for almost two years, but we couldn't figure out how to get the economics to work. The whole package was going to end up costing 300 plus dollars, um, maybe more. And that's a lot of money to spend, uh, for shaving. So we didn't think that that was really going to be the thing to, to, uh, come to market with. So we, we had to pivot even a couple years in and, um, we refocused on looking at safety razor blades, which are. Uh, very ubiquitous. There's dozens and dozens of different manufacturers of these blades and, and lots of different options. And they're very, very inexpensive, despite being actually quite, quite good. The quality can be very, very good. Uh, and the fact that they were so inexpensive, um, that caught our eye because we had run into economics on our first go around. And so we thought if we could make a handle that accepted those blades um, that was that had more of the, the modern form factor, like the pivoting head and this ease of use ergonomic things, that that could be a winner. And it took us about another couple of years to figure out the design and um, get the, what you know as the leaf razor, um, ready for commercialization. And we actually launched with a Kickstarter um, just to make sure that other people thought it was a good idea too in 2016. And that kind of got us off and running. Adam, I'm really interested in the fact that you have like an engineering background. I didn't know that about you. And I like what you said about, you know, you took what is, uh, you know, I often think about with sustainable products that a lot of products just were sustainable until about, you know, mid 20th century when plastics became ubiquitous. And so it's really interesting to me what you've done, which is basically take an old model of a product that was fairly sustainable, which is, you know, a safety razor. And you've combined that with the ease of a modern pivoting head razor to make a product that's the best of both worlds. And I wonder if you, do you think that that kind of model of, of engineering could be applied elsewhere to other products in daily life, or perhaps you said you worked in medical engineering, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes, absolutely. I think you got it spot on. And, and to be honest, if you keep your eye on us, you'll see us start branching outside of shaving um, once we figure we've kind of conquered this area. Because there's a lot of opportunity um, for putting um, just good practical uh, design to play in, in places that are that are honestly wasteful. Um, like you said, a lot of, I mean, production and product 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 production and manufacturing and consumption had started off in its early days with like well-made things that lasted forever and 
materials and quality of design, everything from right the classic singer sewing machine, which you know your grandmother's probably still works, mm-hmm. um, down to like houses, right? They don't build houses like they used to. So quality and craftsmanship and all those things. Um, and I think there's an opportunity to return to those um, where possible. The challenge, and I think about this word a lot, which is accessibility. Um, I think about accessibility on two axes. One is price. Can you afford it? And the next one is product. Can you use it? So I think traditional safety razors um, are um, pretty accessible on price. You can get very, very, very cheap safety razors, but they're not very usable. Um, And I believe that we solve the use the use problem because we make them easy and accessible from hey can I actually use this and like using it side and um, ours do cost more uh, they do cost more than a traditional safety razor of course uh, you actually save significant amount of money over time when compared to plastic razors which disposable cartridges cost so much money it's crazy mm-hmm. so it is a bit of that return on investment thing um, but I honestly believe that the harder thing to tackle is can you make a product that is usable and delivers results. So if you can solve for that, you can eventually figure the economics out. And there's a lot of different areas that can be applied. Mm -hmm. I know that you mentioned, obviously, like the qualms that you have with razors right now. And I know that many people feel that way. Um, And I know I also feel that way about a lot of other products that I use. Is there a reason that you started specifically with razors when I think most people have issues with a lot of the products that we use in our daily lives and want them to be improved? Yeah, absolutely. So I am, um, okay, so I think I just take a step back before I answer that. Um, So I, uh, this business has um, been really uh, transformational for me personally and how I view my consumption, the world's um, um, uh, consumption problems, our, you know, our, our climate and carbon problems, my eyes are like wide open. I have not always been like this. And I take my journey a day at a time, just like any of our users do, frankly, to be honest, um, learning more and trying to make positive changes slowly. Um, on the other hand, I'm also a, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty liberal uh, capitalist in the sense I believe that if you can come up with like something unique and bring it out into the world, that there's value there too. And so um, I'm a creator, I'm a product person, I like making things. And um, frankly, my partner and I saw opportunity in shaving. And the reason is because when we started this, this idea as a, of a nutshell in 2012, 13, 14, you know, you had Dollar Shave Club and Harry's, two very, very big um, organizations um, that were very, very early on the internet pop out and go like this. And they were looking at shaving And we were frustrated with how they were solving it because they were bringing the same exact product out at about half the cost, which sure, that's great. You know, you're working on that like price side of accessibility, but it was the same product. There's, you know, you strip them down and, you know, I've stripped every razor down and they all are functionally exactly the same. You have these little pieces of metal that do the cutting um, and you wrap some nice branding around it and suddenly you've got a billion dollar company. So my partner and I looked at this and we're like, well, you know, if we're going to do something in shaving, we better do something different. And that's why we thought there was opportunity. And actually, we filed our um, patent around the current leaf razor about four years ago, and it just issued two months ago. So we're really excited about that. But it's been a slog because there's 120 years of patent history in razors 
Um, it's one of the oldest, most thicketed um, kind of consumer product um, uh, patent portfolios. So it's really an interesting place for an engineer to play. Interesting. Uh, Adam, you said the C word, capitalism. So <laughs> um, I have to ask, <laughs> like, as uh, someone who started a small e-commerce based business, how do you find, you know, how, how, how do you find the actual like logistics of competing in an increasingly consolidating market? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's every day of my life, but what I come back down to are two things, product and people. So we make sure we get the product right. And I believe that the rest kind of takes care of itself. I'm not one of those people that think you can like hack your way to like a growth, like all that is junky words to me. Um, you make a good product that people are going to like, and you're going to, you're going to grow and find an audience, which is really nice. Um, and, and then number two is people, which is um, customers. So, you know, we try to like do really unscalable things all the time and de delight our customers and take care of them. We have a, um, we have a value at Leaf Shave that we're really just kind of like figuring out how to articulate, which we call the long view. Um, and, and we try to apply that to um, product development, you know, it, are we going to build products at last? Um, where you try to apply that to our relationships with our customers. You know, we provide lifetime warranties around our product, not because I necessarily believe every razor we put out there is going to last for a hundred years, because I think that's actually really tough to say when we're four years old, but we're going to be with those customers throughout as long as they want to shave with Leaf, because we believe in investing in that relationship over the long term. If there's problems, I think we'll solve them over the long term. Um, so, you know, I think those are two really important pieces. And, uh, and then, you know, number three is, uh, you know, there are a lot of challenges that our world faces. And especially, you know, we, close to my heart is, are the climate challenges. And climate challenges aren't going to be solved by individuals without um, businesses and entities, which are the biggest single problem children of that issue, um, taking responsibility for what they're doing. It's, of course, a two-sided marketplace because if consumers didn't buy things that companies made, then companies won't make things that, you know, push carbon emissions into the air. But um, uh, the, the people closest to the source um, are the most responsible. And that's why we're excited to um, do things like our climate neutral certification, which we're two years running now, um, which aggressively measures and offsets our carbon footprint. Um, we try to give back every year. We just um, supported in April during Earth Month the um, Coral Restoration Foundation down in Florida. We gave $5 for every razor we sold throughout the month um, uh, to that group. And uh, that was really exciting. I learned a lot about coral reefs and the challenges they face. And uh, through, through these efforts, uh, LEAF is kind of like my playground to educate myself and figure out how you know, I can give back because uh, you know, I've been very lucky in my life. Um, and, and I believe that individuals and need co companies to put, lead the way. Does, it, does that kind of ring true, I hope? Because yeah. that's how I see it. <laughs> it seems to be that's a, at least from my perspective and like that that's something that is pretty new, like you're valid, like as a, mm -hmm. as a small business, like other, you are part of like a wave of other small businesses that are putting like values first and putting like the consumer first and like kind of mm -hmm. trying to lead the way a little bit with those values. You've talked a little bit about like what you are doing, like on your, your climate work and your sustainability work. Can you just talk a little bit more about like what other aspects of the business 
are sustainable and how you're getting them to be sustainable um, and just like what methods you use and like any problems you might have run into. It's problems all the time. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, sustainability obviously is a pretty big umbrella term. Um, and we try to bite off what we can. Um, you know, there, there are really kind of two things. One is, is like financing action. So like our, our car carbon offset partner, uh, you know, the, the coral reefs folks, like I'm not diving in the reefs, growing, regrowing coral, and I'm not out there um, saving forests, but I, we can help like finance groups that are like focused on that and we can do what we do good. Um, so then, so there's financing efforts that are like aligned with our values. Uh, number two is making sure the products align with those values. So by virtue of, of helping people make the switch from um, your Gillettes and Chicks of the world, you know, I think our users have now probably offset around three or four million plastic razors from going into landfill by using leaf razors, which, you know, that number ticks up every month and every year. And it's exciting because it's like a measurable way of, of, of demonstrating our impact through, um, through kind of like avoidance of waste. Um, and, and so we, we like to look at that. And then number three comes back down to people. So we're a small business. There's eight employees. So there's 10 of us with me and my partner. And um, one of the one of the great things in my life is being able to like provide jobs locally and um, and, and hire. We've, we hired six people during the pandemic. And I think building a sustainable business, small business is about making sure that you treat people well and provide them opportunities to come in and grow their own uh, experiences um, and then support the things that we're doing. Um, and there's, of course, there's really tactical things like um, well, one of the reasons I really enjoy our partnership with Climate Neutral, which is our certification partner for our carbon measurements, is that part of their program um, is really instructive and educational and not just like uh, offsetting our carbon footprint, but um, making us actually put action to reduce um, uh, our, our footprint as well in whatever is controllable. Um, so we do as, as many things as, as, as are in our power, like we just switched our, all of our energy to... Uh, renewable sources, um, uh, which frankly was actually really easy. It was just a call to our uh, uh, energy provider. And I, after doing that for the company, I did that for myself and I think I helped my parents do it. Uh, and so little things like that are fun. Um, uh, we recently moved into a new place and so we put energy efficient appliances and just trying to like take those. You know, they seem small, but like they do add up over time. Um, composting in the office. Um, uh, we, we're called Leaf Shave. So we've got like a bunch of uh, plants around the office. <laughs> and so that helps like keep the air clean and um, just really nice to have around. Um, so little things like that, but honestly focused on a very like small business scale of like making sure we take care of our people is, is I honestly like number one, one A, because um, that's without them, there's no business. But yeah, there, you know, there are a lot of um, kind of sister brands to Leaf Shave um, that I really admire that are doing a lot of good work. Uh, um, uh, you know, and frankly, anyone that's like focused on helping people make product changes like Bite Toothpaste, Blue Land, uh, you know, there's a lot of like self, uh, personal care products out there. Um, and I'm in, honestly inspired by them. And there's like a kind of a little network of um, uh, when, when you kind of like get into this community, people help each other out and like suggest things. And um, yeah, it's it's good. I I don't want to pitch you against the competition too quickly, but. I, I've been wondering about this. I would go to my, my local Target before getting my leaf razor and I would like go to the razor section and I would see 
that a couple of brands have started marketing like sustainable lines mm-hmm. of razors and stuff. Um, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about, you know, what is the difference in like sustainability between like Gillette's sustainable razors versus the leaf razor? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh man. I mean, I honestly feel, I feel a little bit bad for a company like Gillette. I mean, it's such a big machine. I actually interned with them in like 2002 or something. Um, and, uh, but uh, totally unrelated to like my love of razors, um, just happens to be a thing in my history. Um, but it's a very, very big, obviously Gillette owned by Procter Gamble, like the biggest or one of the biggest companies in the world. It's a big machine to like move. And, um, you know, one of the things that I've seen uh, larger companies start to do better uh, is with packaging. Uh, razors have typically and historically been like a way over packaged product with these plastic blister packs. Um, they're honestly and uh, from my time on the inside, like I understand why they did those. And a lot of the reason, frankly, is driven by the um, distribution model. Uh, so in in big box stores and pharmacies, um, you know, razors cost a lot of money. They're high value and they're like very easily preyed upon um, from like a theft perspective. And so these blister packs are really, really hard to open. You have to like cut them open. They're not paper that you can just like pop open and slip a razor into your pocket. Unfortunately, the economics of these razors make them very attractive to be stolen. And then there's a, there's a lot of reasons why plastic is used to package them historically. But I think big companies like Gillette have done a okay job of starting starting to move some of their like plastic packaging um, in the correct direction, Uh, which I'm sure is not an easy thing to do considering the stresses that are coming from the Walmarts and the targets to make sure that they're not having this like kind of this loss prevention thing. Right. Uh, But then you look at some of the the green lines that come out of these businesses too. And, and I'll I'll be the first to say like no single product company or entity is like a hundred percent, green, sustainable without problems. Um, Leaf isn't, and certainly not these green lines from the big companies. Um, But one of the big differences is what you'll see um, from like a Big Shave Co. green line is they might um, say, okay, we're going to start to mix in like a percentage of the plastic of this product is now post-consumer, or we've removed it from ocean and are putting it into here or whatever that kind of workflow happens to be. Um, and that is prog. I think that's progress. Uh, I think re- especially uh, initiatives that remove um, ocean plastic very specifically is, is just like a gigantic problem and, and probably a drop in the bucket, but like a good direction. Um, but you still have the same problem of like single use disposable plastics. Plastic isn't like, don't get me wrong. It's an amazing, amazing material, life-saving medicine, like uh, industrial revolution, like plastic has made communication, telecommunications has made our lives what they are today. The problem is in single-use plastics where you don't need them. And I think that that is like very low-hanging fruit for our civilization to like tackle. It seems just very, very obvious that if you do not need disposable plastics, um, that you can get rid of them. And until the big companies' uh, business models change, which they won't because of economics, um, little companies like Leaf need to lead the charge. Is, are the, you know, the, are the issues with plastic and like ocean plastics part of the reason why you y'all decided to go with metal solid razors instead? Or what was the big influence for choosing that design? Yeah, I mean, look, if we made things with plastic, our lives would be a whole heck of a lot easier. It's easier to work with. It's more repeatable. Um, it's cheaper. I, there, 
there, that's why it's used. Um, but yeah, absolutely. We are committed to making sure that we're not part of the problem as much as we can be. And we're part of a solution. And the nice thing about metals, especially metals we work with like steel or zinc or aluminum, um, is they're actually pretty recyclable. You know, there, there are issues with recycling in this country and globally. Um, but metal still is, is like, a, it's a, it's actually a, a, a pretty high yield of recyclability. Um, whereas the things you put curbside, depending on the, your municipality, like glass often isn't being recycled in many places right now. There's not a lot of market for this. Um, Asian countries are refusing our paper recycling. Um, so there's a lot of issues there. But metal remains like a, a, a pretty good yield on the recyclability side. And we work primarily, so we have a blade recycling program where folks can send used blades back to us. Um, and I always love it when I see a tin come back, uh, they take forever to fill up. So, um, you know, they, <laughs> I'm, I imagine a wave of them in about 18 months. Um, but uh, what's nice about that is that what we've simply partnered with an industrial scrap metal recycling facility near us. And those guys are great. They're like, if it's metal, we'll recycle it. I mean, it's a drop in the bucket, these little pieces of blades. They're recycling big, like tonnage of steel equipment, but it goes in and it goes into the cycle and, and spits out as a a post-metal um, product. Completely forgot that y'all had the the blade recycling part of it because my tin is nowhere near full yet. Like the yeah. blades that come with the razor when you first get it are the, so many. Like I have- Yeah, like, I'm, I'm still working on like a hundred pack from like four years ago. <laughs> Adam, to get back to what you were saying with Gillette and, you know, Procter & Gamble being- uh, I think you said it's a very big machine to move. And I wonder if you have any thoughts about, are there ways to kind of speed up, you know, like move that machine? I think we're doing it. So uh, the thought that Gillette might um, be, you know, coming out with like an eco-friendly line, a sub-brand, which is most undoubtedly making them less money than their primary brands, is a factor of this being part of the, the national conversation. Um, I mean, my, lo my local city has banned single-use plastic bags at the grocery store. You know, everyone understands the problem with um, uh, straws and poor turtles' noses. And uh, the, re the reality is, if those conversations weren't happening on a national scale, big companies would not react. Uh, and so I already think it's working. Um, it, I just think it's a slow moving machine and without um, challenger brands um, helping to push and, and, and by just to be clear, Leaf is very, very, very small compared to Gillette. And so I'm not, even, you know, I don't know that we're necessarily forcing their hand just yet. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, someday, and if we get enough uh, folks behind us, I think we can like appreciably speed up that transition. As a small business right now, you mentioned before that you have like a, a, a value set that you're trying to, you're still in the process of articulating, which is like a long-term vision, which is a cornerstone of like sustainable thinking. Um, but you are a business and that business has to make a profit and has to grow in order to survive. Um, could you tell me a little bit about like what you think the future looks like for scaling up the business model for LEAF? 
Yeah. Okay. So um, Leaf is 100% owned by uh, me and my partner. And the benefit there is we've not taken outside capital. And the benefit there is that we are not required to grow at infinitum. We could stop growth today and have a very nice business um, that helps, you know, X amount of people a year make the swap. And that would be just dandy. You know, we have enough money to support our employees invest in research and development, and we can certainly grow if we want, which by the way is what we're doing. Um, but if we didn't want to grow, we didn't have to. So uh, th there is kind of that nice little sweet spot. So from an entrepreneurial perspective, um, I really like what we've done because there's a, a great deal of freedom um, built into that. We've been very purposeful from day one to make sure that the economics of the business worked such that we could continue to, like I said, push boundaries on product development. And, and in order to grow and scale and help more and more people, make the switch over, you do need kind of like the fuel of capital to do that, which is what is happening. Um, uh, but, you know, I don't think that growth and sustainable mindsets are um, at um, uh, are at odds with each other. Uh, if if you're like you said, if you're if your eye is on the on the long view. So I don't have quarterly reports. I'm not uh, a public company. I don't need to watch the short term bottom line. I can invest in the long term results of the organization. Think knowing that it's going to be the best for both our stakeholders internally at the business as well as our, our as our customers. Adam, I feel like something I hear people talk about a lot in sustainability spaces is uh, a culture shift and a mindset shift. And usually when I hear that talked about, it's talked about more in terms of the consumer, people making uh, a mindset shift in terms of like how many new clothes they need to buy in a year, or maybe how often they need to eat meat or how often they need to travel um, and kind of like a, a value shift. And I wonder in the, you know, the business spaces that you're in, uh, you know, with spaces that you're in with other designers and engineers, perhaps outside of the sustainability space, are, do, you, do you feel like you're seeing a, a culture shift or maybe a value shift in any of those spaces? Uh, that's, a, that's, that's a great question. So um, it's hard to answer for a couple of reasons. So I will say like, I think that we, and for as long as LEAF has been kind of um, an entity that has been very outward facing, which I mean from like, let's say March of 2018, so about three years, um, we've been fully and uh, lovingly embraced by a community of people that are honestly consciously looking to make like changes like this. And it's actually a pretty deep well of those people right now, which I'm really encouraged by, um, both from a business perspective. It's nice to have like a customer base that is deeper than we have so far like captured. But also from that is reflective of the fact that there are a number of young people in like our relative age group, 20, you know, 18 to 42, 5, 45, whatever. Um, in this range, like there's young people who are like really interested in this. Um, that being said, it is, um, while it is the primary focus of um, us to like figure out how to talk with that audience, um, you know, as far as there being a shift, I, I don't think we've been able to sense a bigger inswell of those people just yet because we're still kind of just scratching the surface, um, which is encouraging. Uh, but we also play with, in uh, buckets uh, where people join us not because of that. So we have plenty of customers that come to leave because they, they're just looking for um, a different or better shave, regardless of whether it is like waste saving or they're um, shaving enthusiasts, of which there are a lot, which was a surprise to me. Um, and, and 
uh, honestly, the tricky part for us is figuring out how to talk to them um, without um, turning them off with uh, because I, uh, with the sustainability messaging while working it in there to kind of like help them along in their own personal journey um, while still making sure that uh, it is it's pretty front and center in most of our positioning and marketing right second to product um, uh, because I think it's so important. But I think our product can be used as a bit of a uh, Trojan horse to help people think, oh, you know, I got it because I wanted a different shave and hey, it's actually kind of cool. I'm not throwing all this plastic away. I hear that every now and then and it's, it's kind of cool. In the business space with like new small businesses, you mentioned, you know, uh, there's a significant tappable customer base that is not coming just for the sustainability branding. Do you see any larger companies or small businesses choosing to be sustainable and to have sustainability as one of their kind of um, founding values, but not using it just to to market the product, but kind of using it as a Trojan horse? Okay. As a product person, I hope that people are leading with product and benefits over, um, uh, over like, I, mm. you know, carbon neutral. So there's a reason like you won't see Leaf saying like, come to us, we're carbon neutral. We also sell razors. And, and I think that's because that is not sustainable and growth oriented in a way that like is going to be impactful in the long run. Um, so I honestly hope that people lead with um, product is good. We've focused on that. We're continuing to focus and iterate. And by the way, we the, the benefit of working with us is that we are also like we're ticking the box here, here and here in a responsible way or best of our abilities. Um, I think there's a lot of companies doing that. I, there are plenty of companies that are leading um, with, hey, we, we've, we're, we're green, we're carbon neutral, 1% for the planet, we're uh, fair trade, we're all, all certified. And then we have like no product story. There's nothing substantial behind it. And it's, I think it, that's going to be a really hard road to climb. Um, so, but that's honestly just personal opinion and uh, building the business the way I would build it. So that's why we're here. <laughs> You mentioned before, like your accessibility access of like the cost to like the usability of it. Um, and, you know, the leaf razors cost a significant amount more than like the typical, you know, plastic throwaway razors. Have you or and your company ever like considered the possibility of like how to make the leaf razor a little bit more accessible on the cost axis for like low income folks or like the folks who might need to be purchasing like the cheaper, more disposable razors. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yes. All the time. I cannot stop thinking about this problem. It's a really interesting one. Um, the reality of the matter is um, kind of the leaf razors price where it is uh, um, not because we pick plucked it out of a you know, thing, but because like, this is kind of how much it costs to like for a small business to make like a product that is fairly complicated. And, and we really honestly are pushing every button we can to get it as low as we can while balancing out like responsibility, which is actually kind of a tricky problem. Uh, a common question we get is um, why is it not made in the U S the reason is because it would be a three or $400 razor. 17 parts in the leaf razor, very, very complex. So in order to balance that, we uh, partner with overseas manufacturing, manufacturing in uh, Germany, Egypt, Taiwan, China. Um, we visit these manufacturers. We audit them in person. We have, uh, we're on, actually onboarding a third party um, social audit firm that also come in and support all of that. Um, they're good small businesses, just like us. 
uh, our current manufacturer of the Leaf Razor is is a second generation family business. He's an engineer. He's helped us like move it along. Um, and and there's a lot of complexities with like a global supply chain. But that is honestly what allows us to offer our products at the price point they are. Um, so the Twig Razor, which was our second razor we released just a few months ago, was our first step in this like economic stratification. Uh, strategy. So it's 30% lower price than the Leaf. Uh, it is a different razor. It's simpler. It's a little bit less featured, but it clocks in at 30% under where the Leaf is priced. Um, I mentioned before we have four razors under development right now at various stages of R&D, and um, that is where it gets really interesting um, because we are really starting to like stretch both capabilities and product to make sure that we can offer something that is a as close as we can get direct one-to-one -one relationship with like a Gillette style economic price point um, and also like down and up on materials and quality and features. Um, there's very, very exciting things coming uh, and I wish I could fast forward to them, but we have to go through this phase and that's okay. Um, but yeah, on a daily basis, I'm thinking about how to do that. What is nice and kind of like the current, the current, um, uh, uh, our existence doesn't obviate the fact that cheaper plastic-free solutions exist. You can get a cheap safety razor off of Amazon, for example. You know, the, what's going on behind the scenes is, you know, I, we see them all the time and, and they're, they might, you know, like a cheap one might be like $30 or $40 or $20 maybe. Um, you can see that razor on Alibaba, which is a, you know, global marketplace of kind of direct manufacturing um, for like about two or three dollars. So that's about people are buying it there and reselling it on Amazon for about 10x, which, by the way, is a bigger markup than Leaf is putting on our products, despite ours being like really, truly unique. Um, so sometimes that ruffles my feathers, but that's OK. Our existence doesn't mean that those cheaper solutions cease to exist, which uh, which is good. So people can still go to those. Um, and 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 my uh, answer to those people are, um, hang tight. We're coming with a solution that meets the usability too. Um, you're going to have a harder time using those, but we're, we're coming for you. We're going to get down there. <laughs> I had a question about you had mentioned before, and this is just like getting wordy and a little heady here, but you mentioned that you're a liberal capitalist. And I, I was wondering if you could just like expand what that means to you a little bit more. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Um, I, I honestly probably am like misnomering myself. What I really meant to say was, um, you know, I, I actually, I'm, I believe that, um, you know, as a product person and developer of things, I believe that people um, sh should be able to like capture value in like the the, the innovation that um, they can output, uh, as long as they do it in a respectful and responsible way. And 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 by that I mean I'm not like a hardcore capitalist of like the traditional sense. Um, I'm a I like to like come down and do it and dip in and enjoy the fruits of my labor um, while also making sure that like I leave a good footprint behind. Um, does that make any sense? <laughs> do you think that? that that mentality which is like valuable and respectable like that's the respectable side of capitalism do you think that that is a possible path forward for us to solve a lot of like the social and like ecological issues we see today Ooh, there's a lot of issues um i think it has to, the solutions have to come um 
I mean, uh, industry is such a powerful force in, in the global economy. And honestly, I don't know that that's going away anytime soon. So yes, I think that has to be a linchpin. There has to be responsible industry, responsible capitalism, uh, and the intersection of environmentalism and social justice. It's like inextricably linked. So yes, solutions absolutely have to come there. But um, you also need, um, I, I think we're seeing it like the, the social infrastructure um, coming up and like people coming together outside of businesses that I, I don't know how it only happens with one side of the equation. And so obviously the last year has been instructive in like showing how that can be a force outside of uh, businesses. Uh, businesses are a force for evil in a lot of ways. I mean, there's a lot of problems. You live in DC, you probably see and understand the influence that happens at our nation's capital. It's, um, yeah. Oh gosh. I don't know. Oh, that's a, that's a thorny one. <laughs> I appreciate you taking a stab at it. Thought I'd throw a throw thought I'd throw a curveball at you. Yeah, <laughs> dodged it. <laughs> um, I know it takes a a long time to start a business, especially to scale up, and a lot of resources. Um, especially like you were mentioning, you were working a different job and working on nights and weekends when you first started. And I think that we all understand that in order to address climate change, as we do, there has to be a huge global shift in in businesses priorities and manufacturing and and hopefully like you were also mentioning an influx of these other small businesses that have similar values do you see that happening in time for what we need to do I guess I'm just curious like as somebody who's in the business space with kind of a view behind the scenes what's your kind of outlook right now as to what's going on oh it's it's not very positive. I mean, there, I think, look, uh, I believe that um, as much as we've talked about like businesses responsibility and it's enormous, um, businesses, the, the biggest offenders don't change without, um, uh, for lack of a better word, regulation. I think uh, um, the the governmental impact on this is probably as equal and far reaching as businesses deciding. Um, and, uh, gosh, I mean, politics are, I don't even know. I mean, they've been more in flux in the, in the last uh, eight years that I've experienced than the, in the, my other part of my life. I don't know that they're getting like more settled in a way that I think we can like move together as um, as a global people to like push for change. I don't know. It almost seems like a game of chicken, frankly, between like uh, government and industry and who's going to balk first. And then we, the people are on the side like, hey. Like we, we got, we've got to get, we got to stop this two degree rise in temperature by 2050. And, you know, there's a whole heck of a lot of things that need to happen for, in order for us to get there. Um, nevertheless, um, we can sit on the side and worry that we're headed in the wrong direction or we can take action. And so my action is um, through LEAF and advocating. And, um, you know, I enjoy coming on podcasts like this and talking about um, what little I know and have learned in, in the hopes that it inspires other people. Um, I, uh, if I have one hope, it is that if someone out there listening has like an idea for something good um, to bring out into the world that um, is an improvement uh, in some way in the right direction, then that you take the 
the leap. Uh, and um, like you said, I yeah, my partner and I worked nights and weekends for three years in order to kind of get this thing off the ground. And then, you know, um, we were in the great position of privilege in order to go another couple of years without making any money from the business. We did consulting on the side and worked some other jobs and, you know, tried to make it work. And we hustled and, um, um, and again, like an enormous position of privilege that we were in. Um, but if anyone is, has the opportunity to like try to make something happen. I, I mean, I say go for it. Uh, it's uh, it's actually a whole heck of a lot easier than you think to start a business, um, uh, even though it takes work. And only if enough people start a business that is looking to like make change, can we actually like, I honestly think, can we force change? Because the big, the big guys, they're too slow to shift. I think so. Adam, is there anything that you maybe want to add? Anything you want to plug? <laughs> <laughs> uh uh good question um the twig the twig oh okay um i will share my um personal discount code for leaf shave with you and your listeners which is adam s vip so you're one of my very important people if you use that at checkout we almost never um price discount um like i mentioned before we really try to run the price as low as we can to like sustain the business but every once in a while um in one time a year we'll do it but yeah that's my personal code which i give out to friends and family so consider that yours to use and hopefully thank you you. change thanks so much adam we appreciate it we appreciate you really taking the time to talk with us Mm-hmm. And we're very, you know, very excited to see what else you and the team at Leaf come out with. Um, it's really exciting to see uh, a company with like some values that align with us and seeing like putting a face to that company and like actually seeing somebody who like <laughs> exhibits those values. It's refreshing. I try. Thank you. I really appreciate this. I enjoyed the time. Um, you folks are excellent interviewers, wonderful questions, and uh, yeah, I hope I did this a little justice. Thanks for listening to this episode of Uncharted Territory. I wanted to... This show is produced by me, Charlie Olson, uh, with help from my co-hosts, Louisa Keani and Victoria Middleton. I want to thank all of the wonderful people who allowed me to share their stories uh, and talked with me about their experience. If you enjoyed this show, please, please, please leave us a rating and a review. That is the best way for people to find out about our show. If you really enjoyed this episode, think about sharing it with your friends, sharing it on your social media. That would be awesome. If you want to get in contact with us, talk about what we're doing, or tell us your story, you can reach out to us on Twitter at UnchartedPod. And if you're feeling really generous, please leave us some feedback uh, at the link in the show notes below. Thank you for listening. See you next time.